The Secret World John had really fallen in with his newest comrades. They were certainly a motley bunch, comprised of metahumans from the USSR that were either decades past their prime or too green to reasonably be fielded. Still, each and every one of them had a closeness that John hadn't experienced in years. They were on the ragged edge, working with a shoestring budget and not nearly enough people. But they were still getting their jobs done, making do where they had to. There was the oddball Great Patriotic War event that would push the Stalinist line pretty hard, but for the most part, John's standing as a sturdy worker was enough to save him from most of the rhetoric. Since joining the CCCP, the days had flashed by. There was always too much that needed to be done, so he was constantly busy. And it was a good feeling, much like what he had been doing in the neighborhood, but with a bit more... Was it legitimacy? The weight of the world wasn't on John's shoulders alone anymore. He had backup now. He spent most of his time patrolling and acting as a liaison between the CCCP and its area of operation. Odd job construction bits around the HQ, taking breaks with Chug in the park, or Pavel at the only working watering hole in the neighborhood, or filling out the ever-present reams of paperwork took up the rest of his time. John had finally got his stride back. If he could just shake the recurring chest cold and fatigue he seemed to have a run up, he'd have been better than ever. For those seldom quiet moments, he took his time to seek out Sarah, or Bella, for conversation. Bella was the only American associated with CCCP ties that John associated with. There was that odd Vicky Richards gal and Mamora, but John never saw much of them. Vicky was rumored to be somewhat of a recluse, and Mamona just had a different patrol schedule than John. And Sarah... Well, that was another matter. She'd virtually been with John since he'd entered Atlanta, in one form or another. He generally felt quite a bit better after meeting with her. The last time, he had attempted to introduce her to the concept of ice cream with mixed results. Today there was a simple little task that needed doing in the upgraded infirmary, but, of course, with anything involving the CCCP, nothing was simple. What should have been freestanding, lockable supply cabinets needed to be shelf-mounted to the wall, similar to what one would see in nuclear missile silos. Yabriga was adamant about that. More pounds on roof by Fashisi, and all of my bottles of medicines go flying? Yes. John had the free pair of hands, and he kind of felt he owed Yadriga at this point. The base still didn't have reliably working AC, except in the computer room, so pretty much everyone but Upir stripped as far down as decency permitted while within the walls. For some reason, Upir never seemed to feel the heat. So John was down to a white beater and shorts as he sweated through the installation to Yadriga's specified cabinets. Hotter in hell on the 4th of July, he muttered. 
It was one of his father's favorite phrases and had stuck with John. Lazy May, it's raining men, drawled Bella. You trying out for the Chippendales? John shrugged, tightening a bolt as he spoke. Isn't there a play being put on for Smurf somewhere in town? I hear they still need a Smurfette. John flashed a smile over his shoulder. If you're looking for a gig, I think they just might let you audition. John playfully swatted away a sponge that Bella had set flying to the back of his head. You should be grateful we're out of the souvenirs of the War of Northern Aggression, she mock-snarled. So you're already bashing off? I know Old Bear made her go through at least a crate when he put in a requisition form for going postal notes. Me and Under had a chuckle about that in the rec room. He set down his wrench, turning and standing to face Bella. What can I do for you, Blueberry? Or did you just come to harass our hard-working comrade? She gave him a thoughtful once-over. Oh, came in here to resupply. She put down her box of medical supplies. By the way, there's a wrecked warehouse at what used to be South Peachtree Place that was a med supply house. I got a hold of them. They told me they've written everything off, but no one's looted it, and we're welcome to what we can scavenge. Her eyes rested on the tattoo on the back of his hand. And this is the point where if I wasn't an empath, I'd ask you about the ink and the stars. He frowned, ruffling his hair with his fingers. Bella noticed that he did so with his tattooed hand, specifically. Well, gee, Bella. Yeah, I thought we were friends. That doesn't mean I sneaked. It means I know you don't want to talk about it, but I also know you need to. Well, to someone anyway. You've gotten mental ulcers over it. She turned her back to him and began stowing away little glass bottles in the infirmary fridge. If you don't do something about it soon, it's going to blow up in your face. Yeah, well, it ain't exactly something that you talk to anyone that you want to see breathing for the foreseeable future. You know what I'm saying? Actually, no. Why don't you enlighten me? She studied the labels on the bottles very carefully. John looked around the room, his eyes staying fixed on the doorway for a few extra moments. Bella took that as her cue to close the door and make sure it was locked. He sighed heavily, sitting down on a small wooden crate. Well, shit. What do you know from what I told you before? Not much. And most of that is reading between the lines. You've got implants, and the work is too good for it to be anything other than a program. Presumably a government program. Presumably the U.S. government. It wasn't just any program. That's what they called it. The program. I'm getting ahead of myself, though. He shifted forward, resting his forearms on his thighs. Grew up in Virginia with my folks, only child of theirs. I went through the motions in high school, and then enlisted in the Army once I graduated. Kind of a foregone conclusion, since my old man had served for his career. Went 
11 bang bang, 11 being infantry, passed all of what I needed to get into the ranges and went on to the 75th. Did this and that here and there. Loved military life. After I'd gotten up in years and experience, I got a once-in-a-lifetime chance. Tried out for First Special Forces Operational Detachment Delta. You know, the Delta Force that Hollywood makes all of those retarded movies about? Counterterrorism. Real bad boys that knew their stuff. I won't say with any small amount of pride that we were the absolute best in our mission profile, which was pretty damn versatile. Are you following me so far? You sound like a recruiting brochure, she said dryly. Go on. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, I did some things with Delta. There was a fairly big hiccup during one of them. John went silent for a few moments, looking past Bella before snapping to ever so suddenly. I'm an empath, Johnny, and it felt like more than a hiccup. John continued to talk, not making eye contact with her. But after that, I got recruited. There was a very hushed-up gig going on, and they needed the best and the brightest for it. Being a bit younger and a whole lot dumber, I went along with it. Program was as such. Government had a couple of research stations where they were trying to develop the next sort of mass-produced cyber-enhanced soldier. He held up an arm, displaying the symmetric scars running along the entire length. It was a combination of surgical and cybernetic stuff. Overall, it got called enhancements. Musculature, reflexes, hardened bones, and so on. Six million dollar man type of stuff. Stronger, faster, tougher. We were the test batch for it, and it showed... We had over 45% of our folks die from the trials of it. Anger made her eyes glow for a moment. There is a special place in hell for whatever MDs were overseeing that. We had all sorts. Top of their fields, all of them. Just like us. John chuckled mercilessly. After the surgeries and procedures were done, those of us that were left went through physical therapy to get our bodies used to the enhancements and recover from getting torn up. It was kind of like we learned to walk. Not too fun. During the retraining period, I exhibited something that the docs didn't exactly expect. He snapped the fingers on his right hand, producing a lighter-sized flame. I had natural metahuman ability. You see, the docs and project heads wanted to make sure every soldier be on par with some of the mid-level metahumans via the enhancements. For the few of us that they found with powers already, they had special plans. I got shuffled into a side program where they tried to figure out more about how our powers worked, if they were replicatable, and how best to utilize them for black ops. How charming. While I was in the program, and trust me, I was still going along with it at this point since I figured that this was what we all signed up for, some more things happened. Another very long pause on his part. The angry glow in Bella's eyes went out. 
Her brow furrowed, and it looked as if she was going to try and reach out to touch his arm, but stopped herself at the last moment. That's... That's what they call collateral damage where you come from, I guess. Yeah, well, after that I became uncooperative. Head researcher ordered me up for termination, getting a lethal shot and then opened up on a cadaver table. I didn't exactly cotton to that. I... I lost my head there. John smiled again, lopsidedly, staring past Bella for a moment before meeting her eyes. You know what temperature steel melts at? The lighter-sized flame on his finger intensified and grew to encompass his hand. The temperature in the room ramped up considerably as the flames became hotter and hotter before John suddenly extinguished them. When I woke up, everything in the place was burned. Everything and everybody. You understand? So I ran and had been running up until I came to y'all here at the CCCP. He looked at her soberly. You wanted to know. And there it is. Bella's eyes widened, then narrowed again. Her frown deepened, and one fist clenched. John's experience told him she was in fight or flight mode from something she had read from him, and was working hard to stay on top of her gut reactions. And that was when her calm went off. She jumped and slapped her hand to the unit on her hip. Belladonna Blue, go. We have an incident at the edge of the destruction corridor. Coordinates 123-453. Please meet with your team at that 20. Your team is Corby, Granny Aiken, Little Dolly, and leader of the pack. Roger, on the way. She glanced over at John. We'll talk more later. And keep a heads up around here. That's a lot of firepower for an incident. Granny Aiken is a central kinetic octarian. Dolly is a walking arsenal. Keep it real, Emma. Safe journeys, Blueberry. She gave him a penetrating look. You too. She hesitated a moment more, then turned, flipped the lock, and pelted out the door. John gave an exasperated sigh. That sucks. Only way it could have gone worse would have been if she had smugged me. He had lived with his past every day, every time he used his enhancements or his flames. Getting flack from a friend didn't help things much. And to top it all off, he still had to secure those damned cabinets. Bella wondered how little Dolly could stand upright. She was something like five foot six, but she had a rack that must have been 48 double Ds. She'd have gotten hit on a lot more if it wasn't for the fact that little Dolly, whose metahuman abilities had manifested in the middle of the invasion, like so many, was always packing. Never less than a pair of nine millimeter pistols and a Mossberg slung on her back. Generally, a lot more than that. She had been a stripper in one of the Atlanta gentlemen's clubs that was right on what was going to become one of the destruction corridors. 
when Nazi troopers came crashing through the place, she'd somehow gotten her hands on the bouncer's sawed-off and actually had done enough kinetic damage with it to allow the customers to escape. Once she got her hands on something more precise than the dead SWAT officer and found out about the joint weakness, her meta-power was as an intuitive marksman. She never needed a scope, and she generally shot from the hip. Granny Aiken was another WW2 vet. She'd been pretty savvy back in the day, and she threw things with her mind. Her body might be a good bit more frail now, but she made up for it with mental strength. Corby smirked at all of them. So, I'll go scout from above. Don't you go in there and stun the blokes. Granny tissed, and Dolly scowled. Corby rolled his eyes. Blimey, you pack and stun grenades not, Doll. Oh. Dolly looked mollified. Yeah, I am. That's a bad idea, the leader of the pack said. He jerked a thumb at his dogs. Well, what then? You make a hell of a big target in the air, bird brain. The boy has a point, Granny agreed. Corby made a face, but nodded. They left their van at the edge of the corridor and began working their way in. Bella was keeping mental track of the dogs, although it wasn't as easy as it was with a human. Animals were on a different frequency or something. Leader had told her that the dogs couldn't exactly communicate directly with him as such. He could tell them what to do, and if they ran into something, they'd come back to him, and by their behavior, he could get a general idea of what they'd seen. Mostly. Bella actually had the notion that he was telepathic with them, but telepathy scared him, so he consciously repressed what he was getting and reread it as behavior. Whatever worked. Don't you usually work with Handsome Devil, Shafti, and Einhorn? Bella asked Corby as they moved cautiously through the wreckage, admittedly with more caution for what they might fall over or have fall on them than for cover. Conrad's having a bad luck day. Shakti's making sure it doesn't go so far as having a Nazi show up at the door and Einhorn's with another team. He shrugged. This lot isn't a team so much as who answered the call. He stopped and frowned, holding up a finger in the age-old gesture for listen. They'd been hearing distant gunfire for some time. Bella had gotten pretty used to the distant gunfire by now. But, wait. This wasn't just gunfire. It wasn't even just the bursts of an AK-47 or something else on full auto. This was... A lot. That was when she picked up a burst of fear from all of Leader's dogs, and they came pelting back so fast she didn't even have time to say something. They exchanged startled looks. Lots of full autos, Leader said slowly, as his dogs danced around him in a fandango of anxiety. Grenade launchers. Bowser says a missile launcher, but I'm not sure I believe that. He was interrupted by an explosion. A big one. Or maybe I do. 
they exchanged glances again. Leader reached for his phone. Uh, I'm calling in for help. Bella slowly reached into her pocket and pulled out the slightly larger and far less sleek and high-tech unit that Sobe had given her. So am I, she said, and put the unit up to her mouth. Gamma here? This is Bella Blue. I'm with an echo team at what used to be the corner of Lee and Tate. We have a problem. John was just about finished installing Rodriguez's cabinet when a small group of CCC peers caught his attention. They were running full tilt down the corridor, coming from the barracks and heading to the garage, most likely. It wasn't terribly unusual. Whenever the non-prescient Ganyan spotted trouble brewing, a patrol was sent out, or a group of already patrolling CCC peers were redirected to see what was going on. Less than ten minutes later, however, he was startled to hear the base's claxons go off. The commissar had insisted on her personnel running a number of drills, even before the base was finished with its renovations. Fire drills, practice sessions for what to do in order to repel intruders, and the all-hands drill for when every able-bodied CCC peer was required to suit up and head out to deal with a threat. This specific alarm indicated that it was the latter most, and that very fact gave John pause. Despite the CCCP being a ragtag, thrown-together lot, they were a capable bunch. What could possibly be so bad that it needed all of them to handle? Immediately, an image of a renewed Nazi invasion thrust into the fore of his mind, and a cold, empty feeling gripped him. A rapid burst of something in Russian, in Gamian's voice, blotted out over the intercom. John was still haltingly learning Russian, but he did recognize two words, echo and res. Before John could properly react, he saw Soviet bears head poking into the doorway. Sorry, comrade. We are to be rocking the Casper. John stood up, perplexed. The hell are you talking about, Pavel? What's going on? Bear sometimes mangled his English terribly, mispronouncing phrases or butchering euphemisms. Bear stepped fully into the doorway, his submachine gun in hand. It is American for kicking donkeys or something bad. Bah, never mind, daddy, mount up. Without another word, he trotted away, his clunky metal feet stomping through the hallway. Before John could react to that, Upia ran towards him from the other direction, laden with two AK-47s and her shotgun. She stopped just long enough to toss one and a magazine carrier to him before following in Bear's wake. This is not being non-lethal, Johnny, she called over her shoulder. They are having missile launcher. She sped off, and from her direction, he reckoned she was heading for the garage. Evidently, in her case, leather pants, jacket, and armored pads counted as being suited up. John slung the rifle and the magazine carrier over his shoulder, running out of the room and down to the locker room next door. A number of the other CCCPers were already there, changing into their patrol uniforms and body armor. John quickly unlocked his locker and changed with practiced precision. Less than a minute later, he was being shuffled and shoved into one of the CCCP's pool of bands. 
a couple of the others, Untermensch and Red Savior included, had already revved up motorcycles and were preparing to ride escort. Inside of his van were a few that he already knew. There, and appeared, along with the American psionicist Mormona. The other two were Russians, Perun, one of the veterans and Marxist-based Meta, and then Snay in his hydrocephalic flame-producing helmet. Everyone in the van was silent, checking their firearms and gear, except for Bear, who was chanting a garbled version of We Will Rock You. Finally, as Momona, who was driving, gunned the engine, Upir leaned forward and stared into Bear's face and said something in Russian. Whatever it was, Pavel looked stunned and stopped. Upir settled back with a smile on her pale face. John leaned forward, satisfied after function checking his rifle. What'd you say to him? That I would be giving him shotgun ammo if he did not cease with the racket music. Then Unter would you be doing buckshot extractions. He smirked. You're a mean one. With a lurch and a grinding of gears, the van started forward out of the garage. Several very bumpy minutes later, the van screeched to a halt. Mamona called over her shoulder for everyone to pile out. John jumped down onto broken cinder blocks, the remains of a building demolished in the Nazi attack. He could clearly hear what sounded like all of the gunfire in the world going off in the distance. A block away, at most. The rest of the riders had piled out when Perun, his shaggy white hair blowing in the humid breeze, spoke up. We are on foot from this point, Boric. There is a squad of echo immediately to our southeast. They are being pinned down by an unknown number of reds in an abandoned building. A patrol is on scene and requested backup. Due to the amount of firepower, he said, his words punctuated by a large explosion, that the reds are using. We are weapons free. Lethal force is necessary, Tovarich. With a curt nod, he sprinted off towards the gunfire. The rest of the squad followed him, keeping a few meters between each of them. Their comms crackled to life. Spasibel, Yemenian. CCCP, Belladonna Blue here. Mamona, Johnny, I'm with the Echo Squad. I'll be doing this in Russian and American for your benefit. A brief sentence in Russian followed. Follow your leader, guys. I gave him the route for the safe quarter into as close as you can get to us. After a short run, with John behind Bear and their line up in order to keep their rear secure, they arrived at their destination. Red Savior and the rest of the CCCP, save for the squad on site with Bella, were assembled near a corner. Red Savior was busy talking urgently with Molotov when she noticed John's squad arrive. Comrades gather. Blue girls managed to get out. Rust of squad has pinned it down. Echo was being called also, but all of their personnel are otherwise engaged. She shook her head. I'm not liking the sound of this, but this is being on our back turf, so we will be taking standard urban advance to building across from the one we are behind. Baron, you take squad and provide covering fire for our advance to cover. Once we are in place, we will cover echo retreat to our position. 
Then we unite and make the frontal assault. I'll do my best to baffle their brains, but there's a lot of them, and at a distance, Bella said, repeating it in Russian. So don't count too much on it. They're mostly not good marksmen, but they have grenade launchers, and at least one shoulder-fired missile launcher. You know what they say about close on accounts, and these ain't horses. With that, Natalia spoke in rapid-fire Russian to Bella. He pointed at John, Bear, and Snag. Take position to lay down suppressive fire for the Commissar squad comrades. Without another word, he ducked around the corner. It felt as if every hair on John's body stood up on end a half second before the old veteran began sending 100-yard-long bolts of electricity across the building where the rugs were holed up. John crouched low and took up a prone position about five yards from Perun, unslinging his rifle and charging it with a fresh round he took aim. Bear and Zmei did the same, keeping an adequate amount of space between them. The commissar sounded out the command. Now! John, Bear, and Zmei all poured small arms fire into the building in measured bursts. Well, Bear fired with abandon from his PSSH, laughing raucously, while Perrin used a flurry of electrical bursts. Red Savior and her squad of CCCPers dashed for a building across from their position, making sure they weren't clumped together. The return fire from the Rebs was sporadic, thanks to the amount of lead that was being shot into the cover. A handful of heartbeats later, the commissar and her squad were in position. She gave a command over the comms, and the CCCPers' positions exploded in a hail of fire again, more covering fire for the Echo Patrol and CCCP squad pinned down by the Rebs. John could see that they had been crouched behind an overturned van and some rubble. One of the Echo Metas had been invisibly uprooting huge chunks of rubble to interrupt the Reds' weapons fire, chucking away each piece as it crumbled away under the hail of bullets and explosives. Both the Echo folks and the CCCP squad with them made a break for Savior's position. Very few of the Rebs dared to poke their heads out to try to take pot shots under the combined fire from the Commissars and Perun squads. A few of the rescued were looking bloody, but no one was incapacitated, so there was that much to be thankful for. The most curious part of it was the pack of dogs that seemed to make up part of the Echo Patrol. John had heard about one meta that had dogs as part of his shtick. With all of their forces regrouped, it took about a minute for Savior to communicate with the Echo and CCCP personnel that had been under fire. Once she was done, she signaled to her own. On my mark, comrades. Fire and advance by bounds. We are to be assaulting the building. The commissar squad will be the lead element and will take the first floor. We shall take the second. Bella was already making her rounds of the wounded, as was Sylvie. Between the two of them, it wasn't more than a few minutes before the injured were back in fighting form, injuries closed, if not healed. John hadn't seen a metamedic in action before. Truth to tell, he kind of made the hair on the back of his neck stand up. People shouldn't be able to do that. Amped up on adrenaline, John had one of the moments of surreal clarity that some people experienced as a combat stress reaction. He wondered whether the world would be a better or worse place without metahumans. 
Before he could ponder it any more, Pedro shouted, No! John brought himself up into a kneeling position, firing at all of the windows in the building in front of him. He fired until the magazine for his rifle went dry, and then reloaded it with a fresh one. Finally, after several other CCPers had rushed past him, it was his turn to make the dash to the building. The stuff you heard and saw in movies about zigzagging when you're under fire was complete BS. He ran in a straight line and hard for the front wall of the building. Thanks to his enhancements, he crossed the distance in an instant, slamming into the wall, shoulder first, with enough force to crack the brick. He was at the end of the stack, the line his squad had made on the wall. The commissar's stack was opposite of them. Without a word, one of the CCPers from her squad kicked in the door. Several flashbangs and fragmentation grenades were thrown inside of the doorway, their explosions barely muffled by the walls. The team was inside in an instant, with Chug leading the way as a stumpy shield. Lots of gunfire, and the varied sounds of metahuman powers being used rang from the inside. Perun used the hand signal to indicate that it was his squad's turn. They all streamed through the doorway, following his lead. John caught sight of several red bodies in his peripheral vision as he followed Upir, who was in front of him. They assaulted towards the stairway, guns trained upwards. The too loud crackle and boom of Perun's electricity echoed, along with more rifle fire from the rest of the squad. Since John was near security for this portion, he kept his attention split between following the others and making sure there weren't any hidden red stragglers popping out to cause them trouble. Past the first landing, the team stacked up outside of the first door. Perun had positioned himself outside of the team on the doorway. With a plasma-charged fist, Bear knocked the door off of its hinges, stepping aside so that the rest of the team could enter. More gunfire, and John was stuck outside keeping security. Someone inside, it sounded like Mamona, called out clear. Since John had been at the rear of the team, it was his turn to be at the front of the stack. There was only one more door on this floor. This was the one at the front of the building, facing the street where the echo team had been pinned down. Bear made his way to the other side of the door, nodding to John. Again, he keyed his gauntlets to allow plasma to flow from the conduits connected to his heart and into his fists. The door shattered, and John was through the entrance. A reb was immediately in front of him, turning to swing some sort of rifle. John dropped him with two shots to the center of mass and one shot to his head before turning immediately right to clear the corner. The rest of his squad followed behind him, gunning down the remaining rebs in the room in less than a second. John shouted clear, echoing his comrades as they did the same. The calm came to life again. Russian first, then English. Comrades, regroup downstairs. I haven't yet found grenade and missile launcher. Perun motioned for his team to exit the room. The squad jogged down the stairs, meeting up with Savior and her group of CCC peers. Among them were the first squad along with the Echo Patrol. Bella was in the process of grabbing one of them for another of her treatments. It looked as if they had more of a fight than John's group. A couple had been winged. All of them were sporting cuts and bruises from shrapnel. One of the CCC peers was limping from a bullet right through the thigh. The hole was visible in his trousers, but there was no bleeding now. Bella arched an eyebrow at John. 
you gotta liberate us some Nanoese pants for you lot. Before Natalia could raise a complaint, two rebs burst from a storage closet, running as fast as they could for the back door. They shouldered their way through it, busting the door wide open. John couldn't get a beat on them with his rifle before they were outside, but he did notice that one of them was carrying the unaccounted-for rocket launcher. It was an RPG-7, he guessed, widely available on the black market, if you had the cash. Bobby, Bobby, after them! The commissar propelled herself out the door on a plume of her own strange metahuman energy. The congregation of CCCPers and Echo ran after her, a jostle of firearms and gear harnesses. They came out in another destruction corridor. The building the Rebs had pulled up in had apparently been right on the edge. The two fleeing Rebs were almost across the entire expanse, as wide as a football field. John's group was about to give chase when they almost simultaneously noticed what was wrong with the scene. On the other side of the destruction corridor were close to 200 jeering, armed, and very angry Rebs, led by Rebel Yell himself. You've been listening to the Secret Service.